You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Okay, before we get to my annual Christmas tirade, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time of the year, and Lord, that we would be able to keep it in a right uh, perspective, uh, keeping our eyes focused on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, who is Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning, I just want to put Christmas in its proper context, because what I found is that it errs on uh, one of two sides and very rarely lands squarely where the Bible places it. Uh, On the one hand, and we see this played out in our culture wars, on the one hand, it's purely secular. And so the growing number of people in our context, certainly in the world's context, uh, especially in the Western world, who celebrate Christmas as a cultural holiday and phenomenon. Right? Uh, And then there's the other extreme, which is uh, to see it so exclusively as uh, a religious holiday uh, that you cut out all of any of the the cultural trappings uh, in order to keep uh, the focus on Jesus. And in both ways, I I find um, uh, not really what the Bible has to say about Christmas, uh, but also uh, neither one of those is very much fun. Uh, one is just completely ludicrous uh, because it's called Christmas, right? Which means, right, originally it was Christ's Mass. Uh, it's the Advent, uh, first Advent of the Lord. Uh, there's really no getting around it, but our world is foolish. It's like um, the, the way that we do dates now. You probably have seen uh, no longer B.C. or A.D., uh, but B.C.E. and C.E., before the Common Era, and the common era, and yet the calendar is still dated from what? The birth of Jesus. Right? It's completely idiotic. But also you have uh, the folks who say, well, I'm going to get rid of all the cultural trappings of Christmas, and who really wants to go over their house? <laughs> I don't. I mean, who, I feel ashamed to ask, but do you have any eggnog? Uh <laughs> And so actually, what I think happens is that Jesus gets closed out of both places, that there still is no room for him in the end in either extreme. And I'm not saying, well, the answer is moderation. That's not it at all, because I think actually we get some clues uh, and as to what the pitfalls are and how we can avoid them. So putting Christmas in its proper context. Uh, you may be surprised to know that Christmas really wasn't celebrated in the church until the 12th century. I mean, it was acknowledged, uh, it was there, uh, but St. Francis of Assisi came along and he actually was really responsible in large part uh, to popularizing Christmas in uh, the life of the church and it began to take on a life of its own that by the time of the Reformation, it was a really big deal, especially in terms of its religious understanding. So showing up on Christmas was a really big deal and was one of those times uh, of the year that you might take communion if you took communion at all. Well, after the Reformation, the Reformation tried to put it back in its uh, proper place, 
but it's really hard to get rid of traditions, especially around Christmas. So John Calvin in Geneva had a habit, and uh, still is a good one, and we kind of do it in our own tradition, of preaching through a book of the Bible in sequence. So you might take, you know, a bit of, you know, work your way all the way through Mark's gospel. And, um, and one Christmas, I don't know what he happened to be preaching on, uh, but he noticed that the church was much fuller than it normally was, and he looked out and said, what are you people doing here? Uh, meaning, where have you been? Uh, well, that tradition still holds pretty strong uh, in the life uh, of the church. And in fact, uh, I, I wonder how Calvin would have felt because this past Thursday, I pre we have a Thursday morning service here at the Advent, uh, which is primarily uh, aimed toward uh, those uh, who um, either are homeless uh, or underemployed here in the downtown area. And we're going through Mark's Gospel. And my text for that Thursday, uh, last Thursday, was the crucifixion of Jesus. And I walked in, and there were 40 day school kids, kindergarten through third grade, sitting in the, in the, in the service. And I thought, well, my PG-13 borderline sermon needs to be rethought in the next five minutes uh, while I'm here. Uh, how do you explain the crucifixion with Christmas upon us uh, to these young kids? Well, only four children cried, uh, and, uh, and uh, I'm kidding. I think it went, I hope, I pray it went uh, okay. Having children helps, uh, helps you reboot pretty quickly. And so I was able to preach a message. And, so, uh, and yet, it's a good idea for us to set aside the, the calendar uh, to acknowledge that God indeed has come into the world uh, to rescue us. And the reformers did that. And then you fast forward a bit to the 17th century when the Puritans came into power and they actually outlawed Christmas. Uh, and uh, that might sound like bah humbug, but you have to understand that our modern understanding of Christmas is very modern. When the Puritans were dealing with Christmas, it was a religious festival and what they wanted to do was to get rid of superstition. That was their aim. But all of the things that we would have, in our mind's eye right now, we're probably searching for what would an outlawed Christmas look like. And all the things that, the, that you think that the Puritans would have outlawed actually never existed when they were in power. Christmas trees, non-existent. Caroling, very few. Uh, gift giving was uh, a tradition. Uh, but, I mean, even in our modern day and age, uh, maybe you're like me. I just get what I want all year round. Like if I need something, I go out and buy it. And so Lauren said, well, that's kind of a Scrooge attitude, Andrew. So why don't you do an Amazon wish list? And so last year and years previous, I, I did that. This year I've not uh, because of my experience. Because I get the wish list and then I open stuff on Christmas. I'm like, not on my wish list. <laughs> totally pointless. <laughs> What's the point? Having a wish list. If you're not, look, anyway. Uh, so the Puritans really weren't concerned with that. In fact, uh, our Christmas understanding is actually Victorian. Uh, one of the things that is held true in American culture, uh, even from the 19th century uh, to today, is we're obsessed with the royal family. I mean, I, I read the Washington Post, uh, which is 
is what it is. Uh, but I, I read the Washington Post, and every time I get on the website, there's always a little section that says pictures of uh, George and Charlotte and, uh, and the royal family. I'm like, every time, every day, there are new pictures put up of the royal family. And, uh, I mean, we're how many of you are watching The Crown? How many of you watch Downton Abbey? Yeah, you're obsessed. Right? You're, you're all obsessed. How many of you are Episcopalians because you think that we're Downton Abbey in church? Right? Well, uh, even in the 1900s, uh, we became obsessed uh, with royalty and because Queen Victoria and Prince Albert put a Christmas tree up at Buckingham Palace, we began to put up Christmas trees uh, in our own homes. And really, it was an elitist thing. It was the elite culture of Britain versus the elite culture in America uh, trying to keep up with one another. The first White House Christmas tree didn't come along until 1889 uh, when uh, William Henry Harrison uh, was president of the United States. But it caught on really quickly to the point that Johnson, who was Thomas Edison's assistant, you ought to be able to figure this out, what did he invent? Christmas lights for your tree, right? Before Clark W. Griswold uh, was Mr. Johnson who invented uh, Christmas lights. So a lot of the traditions that we have are fairly modern. But if there's one person who was responsible for how we celebrate Christmas now, it has to be Charles Dickens. Uh, Charles Dickens really... Uh, took Christmas to a whole new level. Now, you may or may not know this, that Dickens was a very deep and faithful Christian. And so you'll read many of his books, and if you haven't, I, I would recommend uh, that you read any of them. David Copperfield is, is my favorite. Uh, they're actually not very difficult reads. Uh, but Dickens was uh, a faithful Christian, and Dickens' understanding of Christmas, especially around a Christmas carol, uh, really began to infuse in uh, British English-speaking culture, I should say, uh, an understanding of what Christmas is and what it's all about. Uh, and so, uh, and then even uh, into today, uh, we're all looking for new Christmas traditions, whether it's, um, you know, maybe you like uh, listening to Andy Williams for two and a half months on 96.5 every year. Um, I like Andy Williams, but that's a lot. But even now, the tyranny of the Christmas card. Right? I mean, we've all right now got the stack in our kitchens, uh, armed and ready to go when we get a card that we didn't send somebody a card to. And so uh, you've got it going. And, and how many of you at this point are running so low that you're thinking someone's not going to get one or they're going to get just sort of a handwritten card? And that would be the end of the social world for us. Right? No one's laughing because it's true. Right? And even in England today, uh, there was a call recently from, um, I forget who it was, but I was reading it in the Telegraph, and they said that what we need actually are new Christmas carols. Uh, Christmas has actually never been more popular than it is right now. I mean, think about it. It is the only time of the year when even the most secular of radio stations goes Christian. Sometimes for two months, sometimes just for a day. The other side of that is that it's the only time of the year when Christian radio stations go secular. Uh, because I, I heard Boogie Woogie Santa Claus on the Christian music station uh, the other day. And to some in the world, these traditions are mystifying. Whether it's, wait a minute, 
Do we have any young children in here? I've been making a bad mistake. I'm sorry, because this class is kind of PG-13, and I've been making a bad mistake about saying things in class. I want you to look around and raise your hand if I can't talk about Santa Claus. <laughs> All right, let's do it. All right, we're in. Prepare to, if, if, if you don't know, spoiler alert. Den, get ready. All right. Uh, so traditions like Santa Claus and even uh, a new tradition, uh, new tradition um, that was developed by the Central Intelligence Agency, the Elf on the Shelf, um, <laughs> you know, really are, are are quite something. And even how we translate that, Lauren was asking me. She said, "I want you to call Australia." I'm like, "Who do you want me to call? Like, just call us." Connect me to Australia. Any number will do. And she said, because, you know, down there it's the dead of summer. Right? It's as hot as it's going to be right now. Actually, it'll be the hottest month is next month. And so she's trying to figure out, what does Santa look like in Australia? Does he have, like, water skis and Bermuda shorts? Or is there, like, a sort of stopover station for him on the equator in Uganda or someplace like that where he switches over. Uh, what's, and I talked to my Australian friends and they said, no, he's full board. And in fact, every year people look forward to counting how many Santas get heat stroke uh, from uh, wearing the heavy suit and, and the beard. So these traditions are strong, but we have a Jewish friend uh, who was talking to Lauren the other day and she said, she said, but the one Christian tradition that I can't figure out is Elf on the Shelf. And of course, Lauren said, whoa, 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 whoa. It's, it's not a Christian tradition, but you see how, uh, to the outside observer, uh, the traditions that we observe as Christians, uh, everybody's appropriating everything. Right? So even the most sacred of traditions is becoming secular, and even the most secular of traditions is becoming uh, sacred. Now let's uh, talk about the elf and Santa. How many of you grew up being told that if you were bad for the year, you were going to get colon switches? Now what's a switch? Yeah, that's right. So I asked the kids in, uh, in, in the Thursday morning service what they would get, and they said, coal and matches. And I'm like, <laughs> y'all are all going to grow up to be criminals. Uh, I did send one of my nephews this year. Uh, it's a gag gift, but I think it's very funny. You can get on Amazon. It says, my first fire starting kit uh, for kids. And um, anyway, I thought it was funny. Uh, so I said to him, but yeah, you're told, uh, and, and I have noticed something when I was growing up, and this is not to inflate me or to make me look good, uh, I lived in fear uh, the month leading up to, basically Thanksgiving was when I was like, now I got to behave and hope that Santa has a short-term memory, <laughs> right? Or that Santa's going to treat me like he would an employee for an annual review who only remembers the past six weeks of my job performance, right? That's, that's what I'm hoping for, and maybe, just maybe, I can get away with it. But if I had woken up on Christmas morning and found colon switches, I would have felt really sad. I would be really distraught. And I've asked teenagers this question, and I asked the kindergarten through third graders this same question uh, last week. If you woke up on Christmas morning and found colon switches or matches in your stocking, how would you feel? You know what they all said? Mad. 
mad. Why? They think they deserve them. The gifts, not the colon switches. Uh, there's no, uh, he's, uh, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you awake. Uh, he knows when you've been bad or good. Uh, so be good uh, for goodness sake. Uh, I am all about putting the fear of Santa back into the hearts of children. <laughs> Which maybe is what prompted the elf. Uh, for those of you that don't know about this Christian image, the elf on the shelf, it's this elf. And I'll, and I'll explain it as I explain to my children. Every year, this elf, ours is named Francis, comes and visits us from the North Pole. It's a creepy-looking thing. And it, it sits there, and I ask the children, why do you love this elf so much? Oh, we love her. We think she's so much fun, and she's so great. And so I ask them every year, let me get this straight. This elf comes into our house, comes alive at night, creepy, comes alive at night, causes mischief, and whose only job is to go back to the North Pole and rat you out to Santa Claus. And you like the elf? We love the elf. We love the elf. I think, and I think this is true, uh, one of the things that our culture has completely squashed, and yet what our culture desperately longs for, is magic is magic and imagination. And Christmas is one of the few times of the year where it's actually culturally acceptable uh, to say, yes, uh, that, that actually there are elves and there are uh, there's Santa Claus and, and all of these things. And, and maybe, now one of the things I don't want to do is, uh, is to lie to my kids. And uh, a member of the congregation who may be here this morning, uh, their daughter, when she was six years old, said, is Santa Claus real? And they decided we're going to be honest with her and said, uh, Santa Claus, no, but Jesus, yes. And they said, but here's the deal. You can't tell anybody else. Well, after carpool, uh, that parent received a number of telephone calls from distraught parents. Uh, so magic is not uh, such a, a bad thing. In fact, uh, the whole idea of Santa Claus, I can do without the elf. We've got a, I've got enough people watching what I'm doing. Uh, and I know that on the judgment day, I'm not getting away with anything. But it's also good because we can impress upon our children uh, the fact that, you know what? At the end of the day, if everything is tallied up, the bad and the good that you've done for the past year, uh, you better hope that you can squeeze a diamond out of that coal because that's all you're getting. Because that's true that all of us on Christmas Day, we deserve, we've earned coal and switches. Yet what? Because of mercy and goodness, you get gifts. Now, you, can, you can run with that, can't you? You can actually express and share the gospel with your children to say, uh, you know what? We don't deserve any gifts, but God in his infinite mercy gave us the greatest gift of all, who is Jesus Christ, because uh, we actually deserve much worse than coal and switches. Uh, we deserve death, uh, but God gives us the greatest gift of all, uh, who is Jesus Christ. And so uh, I really do like um, some of the traditions that we have uh, in, uh, in and around uh, Christmas.
Now, Christmas has become such a big deal, and let's face it, uh, we make a bigger deal out of Christmas uh, than we do Easter, don't we? I mean, certainly culturally, but even in our own homes. I mean, I love services of lessons and carols, but if I have to go to another one, I'm done, right? Uh, I'm, I really am done. And it's really gotten to the point in our culture where Christmas starts so early. I and mean, when did you start hearing about Christmas this year? When? Halloween, Halloween right? Around Halloween. I saw, I saw Christmas stuff next to the Halloween stuff uh, as we neared October the 31st. I am convinced that culturally speaking, Next year, Jesus will be resurrected as an infant, and we'll just go right into Christmas. That's where I feel like uh, we're, we're headed. Uh, but nonetheless, we don't really take a lot of uh, time uh, to really think about Easter, because in Christianity, uh, what actually is the more important holiday? And the Bible actually prioritizes this. Easter. Uh, Easter is by far uh, the bigger holiday, and we're going to get to that. But... Uh, the incarnation, Christmas, has absolutely dominated uh, our way of thinking so much that it has even caused us to read the Bible wrongly. So let me give you uh, an illustration of that. Recently, I was reading uh, a, um, uh, a uh, pastoral letter from uh, a bishop in the church who wrote this for the Christmas message. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. At a point in that passage, St. Paul says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And he also says at another point in the same passage, quote, And we have, given the, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And they go on to say, uh, But the story behind the story is what St. Paul was talking about. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and Jesus has now given us that same ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself by becoming one of us. The divine became human. God entered history. Eternity became part of time. God was reconciling the world to himself by actually living it in himself in Jesus. God came among us to show us the way to be reconciled with the God who, was create, who has created us all and everything that is. Okay, so let's look at the passage, if you have your little pocket Bibles. Uh, let's look at 2 Corinthians, which this bishop uh, has quoted. Now, on the surface, there's absolutely nothing wrong uh, with what uh, the bishop has said, but he's built uh, his entire premise, his entire argument, on 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with, uh, let's start, I'm going to start with verse 16. Uh, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, 
be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What event, biblically speaking, is Paul talking about? Somebody said it. The crucifixion and resurrection. That's what St. Paul is, is talking about. God made him who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did God make Jesus sin when he was born in a manger? No. The church goes to great lengths to preach the biblical message that he was born without sin and lived a perfect and sinless life. And it was only upon the cross that the weight of the sin of the world upon him was laid. Now before we get too self-righteous and say, well here we go, Andrew, you love to do this kind of stuff and nitpick, let's criticize the Advent. So if you look at Titus chapter 3, it's right after 2 Timothy, God eats potato chips two times Titus. <laughs> Believe it or not, that's how I remember the epistles. Okay. Chapter 3, verses 4 and 6. This was always our second reading for years and years of the Advent. Listen to this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of of eternal life. We would read that at Christmas. But what's it talking about? The crucifixion. It's talking about the death of Jesus. This is a much better Easter reading uh, than a Christmas reading. Uh, but why uh, have people said, well, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, well, that's about Christmas. Uh, Titus chapter 3, uh, that's about Christmas. Uh, why would we think that? Because we're obsessed with Christmas. We really are. And the church has to be very careful about bringing what people will call an incarnational lens to reading the Bible. Uh, because if you think that the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of the world is God coming amongst us in the person of Jesus Christ, and just that alone, and just that alone, absolutely necessary, pivotal, huge, uh, abundant of abundant importance but if we think that that and that alone is really the pinnacle uh, of the Christian faith and that which upon our faith rests it means that we're actually still dead in our sins and trespasses because if Christ Jesus was not crucified and raised from the dead uh, we are above all uh, the most to be pitied and so Christmas really does uh, for Christians I think uh, go for it. Celebrate all the cultural holidays. For me, I don't get threatened by them. Uh, all the trappings around Christmas. In fact, anytime somebody says, well, I feel like the world is against us. I'm like, that's because the world is against us. Right? Uh, Jesus came 2,000 years ago to be born in a manger in Bethlehem, and the response by Herod was what? Kill him. And they finally succeeded when he was 33 years old. The world would much rather, who shall I release for you this Christmas? Jesus or elf on the shelf? Give us the elf! 
Every time. Uh, we're going to throw Jesus into the ditch. And so we shouldn't be terribly discouraged by that because that's just uh, the reality. But Christmas, culturally speaking, is a great time of the year to talk about the gospel. I mean, think about it. It is the one time of year. Now, for some people, I should say this, it's a very difficult time of year. All right? I mean, Blue Christmas is a real thing. Uh, whether it's because of a loss or some memory from your past. Uh, I grew up with a family who every year over Christmas went on a cruise. Uh, they tried to escape it. Uh, I was in North Africa on Camelback in the Sahara Desert. I'll tell you the whole story another time why I was there. And there was an Englishman with us who was in the Sahara because he felt like that was the only place he could go and escape Christmas. Now, he was very upset that two nights later, two girls from Singapore began to sing Silent Night around the campfire. It was not a happy Christmas for him. And yet, for even those folks, it's a great time to witness and hold out the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that their deliverer has come, that he's here, that he's mighty to save, he's mighty to restore. Uh, but also for those who love the magic of Christmas and all that goes along with it and really uh, can go for it uh, this time of year to actually talk about real, meaningful, uh, lasting joy in a way that's not awkward. Again, everybody, even the most secular of people, uh, unless they're really out to lunch, hopefully can admit uh, that Christmas is primarily about Christmas uh, even though it's, it's incredibly uh, inclusive. So it's a wonderful time of year in order to, uh, to, to be able to witness, uh, but also that we're able to keep Christmas uh, in uh, perspective. Uh, because Christmas can only be understood in its greatness in light of Easter. Uh, the victory over Jesus' death in the grave contains the great news about God's visit to us. Now, Jesus didn't come just to share our experience of life or to teach us the way to live. He came to take our sin upon himself and to bear our punishment in his death. I mean, what, all of the great Christmas carols, if you listen very closely, have this message in it. And I'll never get tired of saying it, that the very voice that cries out from the manger for his mother is the voice that cries out to his heavenly father, it is finished. It's the same voice, the same person. And Christmas does afford us this opportunity with unbelievers. Because for unbelievers, Easter is weird and unimpressive. A man dies in the first century and we're supposed to celebrate? He may have been a great man. He may have been an innocent man. He may have died a barbaric death. But what is so important about a man who died? How is this action central to history, life, eternity, or our relationship to God? In contrast, for those of us being saved, the cross is not a matter of shame and foolishness, but the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christmas will always be more popular than Easter with non-Christians. It has a message that's easier to understand, a message that tells us of our importance, that God would come to earth for us. It's a message of birth and life. But Easter has a message that demonstrates God's wrath upon sin. 
It's a message that reminds us of our own mortality. It's a message that demands repentance. And yet Christmas is the first step on Jesus' journey to the cross. And so that we might put Christmas in its proper perspective and that we might celebrate this season and read our Bibles uh, through the lens of Jesus' victory over death and the grave and all the while rejoice that our redemption has come. Questions, comments, concerns? Beth Flowers, are you here? Not to pick on you, but... Okay, so Beth Flowers doesn't come to Sunday school. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I saw her this morning. She's somewhere in here. Uh, but uh, just as a, as a footnote, we, I, I still am very happy to talk about Christmas, but we did that two-week thing uh, on uh, the Reformation in England and Scotland. Uh, if you still are interested in the trip, uh, please do get in touch with Beth Flowers at Brownell Travel. Uh, that's the person uh, to call, and she'll be able to set you up. A wonderful Christmas gift uh, for your loved ones, or the people you just want to get out of the country. <laughs> yes, Mayor Bradley. Um, can I get back to Elton yourself? Yes. Um, from a parenting standpoint, I understand where you're going, um, bigger picture than that, but um, how do you reconcile December 26th, putting the elf up, and behavior, and, and workspace, Yes, that's the biggest thing. I didn't even get there. Yeah, go ahead. You're well, you know, I asked Frank, I was like, you know, do you really want this, like you said, this thing watching you, uh, and you're just based on that. If you, you know, are you going to really want what you deserve on Christmas morning? Right. Um, and, but on December 26th, you know, what's the next step with yeah, you've got a couple options. Just simply explain to Kathleen and Frank that the elf's not a Christian um, and uh, is under judgment. Uh, and you really don't have to worry about the elf because he's actually the one that's going to get it in the neck on the judgment day. Uh, and so he ought to be pranked. I'm just Okay, well, I could go on for that. Uh, the other... Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the other... I got in trouble for this one year because I actually had our elf die a violent death. Um, and a ball of ketchup and a candelabra. And uh, so you could do that. Um, yeah, I, I'm, well, one thing I will say is that if you keep it about the magic, your kids aren't going to end up on a couch one day. If it is about the moment that you begin to tell your children, if your ammo for discipline this holiday season is the elves watching, you're doomed. And it is going to create a workspace righteousness that thinks if I behave outwardly and just in front of the elf, then I'm going to get gifts. Uh, and at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure our kids have called our bluff on that one. right? They're, I mean, under no circumstance are they ever expecting coal uh, and, and switches. Uh, so uh, is, I would never use the elf uh, as a disciplinary tool. So I would probably reel back significantly the whole thing of, of the elf is watching you because the little trick is if the kids touch it, apparently the elf goes away and you're, you're doomed. Um, I would have strangled that thing from where, I would have microwaved that baby from where it goes <laughs> as a kid. Um, I'll touch you. The, um, so I, and, and the other thing is if you're misbehaving, you, um, the elf stays in place 
But I'm telling y'all, for, for y'all that are doing the elf and moving it around, y'all are, y'all are doing great. I mean, y'all got uh, elves uh, decorating trees and, and defecating Hershey Kisses. And, <laughs> and, I, and Lauren and I are just trying to keep our kids alive. Uh, and so, you know, the frantic thing in the morning of, oh, shoot, we forgot to move the elf. And then the kids, uh, I wouldn't even tell the kids that because you're going to forget A and B. Again, if you're saying if you're bad, the elf's going to stay in place, then that, that means that the elf's in charge of your house. An idol is running your house. That's what that means. We just refuse to believe that the law kills. That's right. The elf kills. <laughs> Andrew, somewhat a practical question, but um, what's the basis for December 25th Christmas Day? Yeah, I, I think that there's a, a pretty good uh, reason uh, for uh, December 25th uh, being Christmas Day. You can kind of do some math in the New Testament uh, around, um, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll just be honest, most of it's tradition. I don't think that the date is as important. People that get really carried away and think that it has to be December the 25th, I think it's just important that we set aside a time of year uh, to celebrate the Lord's birth. So there really, quite frankly, isn't a lot of historical evidence. I mean, you can do a little bit of math in the New Testament uh, with John's birth and things like that and, and Passover, but, but really not so much. That and, I mean, the, this, and the other thing about the census, people say, well, the census, that census took something like five years to do. So it, it, they had a big window to, to get counted for tax purposes, of all things. I won't destroy, because I was thinking about actually talking about all the things we believe as adults uh, that Jesus actually may not have actually been born in a barn. Um, uh, but I'll just let you sleep on that Christmas Eve. Um, so that's it. All right, anything else? Y'all have a very Merry Christmas. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.